Hello and welcome back to our Tap Talks HR podcast. Today I'm delighted to be speaking to Nelson Sivalingham, CEO and co-founder of How Now and author of Learning at Speed. Welcome to the call, Nelson. Thanks for having me on the show. No worries. So, Nelson, you've got a bit of a name for yourself talking about the death of the LMS this year, going around from uh, conference to conference. So let's get straight into this. So why is the traditional LMS approach broken in your view? (laughs) Well, I don't think people need a lot of convincing to know that the LMS is broken. I mean, all you need to do is ask yourself, is, is anyone using it? And I mean, is anyone using it when you don't mandate them to use it? And when they do use it, what's their feedback? You know, if you're hearing things like, oh, I can't find anything I want. Oh, this is so difficult to use, which is basically what we hear. And to most L&D professionals who have an LMS. And so this is what we kind of come to call the engagement gap. It's when, you know, putting a lot of time, effort into creating training programs, learning content, uh, you tend to distribute it by your LMS, but actually no one's using it, no one's really engaging with it. And every time people don't engage with it, you're essentially wasting time, money and resources. Uh, and it also looks bad on you, right? When your boss, the head of HR, the C-Swipper asking, going, well, look, we bought this LMS, what's going on with this? And you're like, well, no one's really using it. I tried sending out emails. I tried putting calendar invites in to make them go and do it, uh, but they're not using it. And that's why you know, it's, it's essentially with LMS is the paradigm was built for something else, you know, it was built two plus decades ago, and it was built to be a content system, like, you know, let me upload content, let me store content, let me push it out, and let, let me see whether people have completed the content or not. But that's not the problem we're trying to solve in today's world. What we're trying to solve today is, do my people have the skills they need to be able to perform well and progress in their career? And that question is not a question that the LMS was built to answer or help answer. And so it's time to say it's been okay while it lasted LMS, but it's it's time to move on. And we've seen that happen in every other category within work, you know, from the way we communicate with each other uh, to the way we run marketing sales. Uh, L&D and HR are probably kind of the last to kind of upgrade into more modern tech. And to do that, we need to wave goodbye to the LMS. And I think someone just needs to call a spade a spade. Fantastic. And, and well done for that and standing up uh, with your head above the parapet on that one. And I'm thinking, do you think part of this is because like the traditionally the HR function has been very much an administration function if we go back a couple of decades? So having all our learning content all nicely little neat in little folders in an LMS system is, is probably what's holding us back. Absolutely. Right. It, it, without a doubt, the LMS was designed for the user. But the user in this case is the administrator. It's the L&D professional. Um, and therefore, it's optimized with functionality um, for them to be able to do their job. And actually, the learner experience is, is an afterthought. It wasn't built for that, right? Uh, and so that's why often you see in, if you go a few years back and look at LMS RFPs, it's very, very heavy on, you know, does it book my room? Does it manage my cost for lunch? And all of these things um, but actually, there's like one tiny section with four points on the things that are going to make your learners actually use it. And, and then it fundamentally comes, comes down to the question of what good is a learning platform that no one uses? Does it really matter that your LMS can book a room for you if no one wants to book that learning experience in, in the first place? And I think it flips that 
uh, question around to, to really look at okay, what is it that makes this meaningful for the learner, for the employee, and work from that perspective rather than starting with the admin as the heart and center. And so it's not necessarily to ignore the administrator, but it's more important not to ignore the employee or the learner. Uh, and I think it is that shift that we're seeing is a lot of the customers that we work with how now are, are people who previously had a traditional LMS, right? If it was doing it for them and it was solving the problems, then they wouldn't have to move. But every traditional LMS that we see people moving away from, it's because it was built for the admin and management of learning and not necessarily to enable the learning experience. I'm still recalling about the fact you've got to book a room. I mean, that, that takes me PP <laughs> pre-pandemic when we're talking about that one. It's like, um, I, I, as someone who delivers leadership development, it's like, I'd love to book a room these days, but it's, <laughs> it's either Zoom or Microsoft Teams is usually the response. Um, so you talked there about content, you talked about admin, but you also mentioned there about skills being one of the most important things now. So, so how do you deliver a skills-first L&D function rather than a content-driven L&D function? Yeah, I think a good place to start is to first go, why do we need to take a more kind of skills-led approach to it? And I think that comes from looking at what is the problem we're trying to solve? And I think the problem that um, most companies today are facing is a skill shortage, right? Uh, and there's some incredible statistics that came out earlier this year that kind of shows, uh, you know, even in an economic downturn, which you know, in some countries they've con confirmed they're in, in others we're like, are we, are we not? But we can definitely say the economy is tightening. Typically, what you tend to see is the unemployment rates go up, right? You're in a recession, unemployment rates go up. Um, but for the first time ever, what we're seeing is actually some of the lowest unemployment rates we've seen in the last 50 years, although the market is tightening. Now, that is a very strange occurrence, and it's not a temporary thing either. And so we need to look at what's going on here. What that tells us is actually there aren't enough humans to fill the roles that we're looking for. And um, the U.S. labor market recently came out saying there are six open roles for every qualified human who could do that role. So our biggest issue isn't AI and robots taking our jobs. It's the fact that there aren't enough skilled humans to do the jobs that we need to do. So that comes back down to, OK, there's a skill shortage in the market. And then when you look inside organization, what's going on? Well, because there's so much job opportunity, people are leaving companies where they feel like they're unsupported in their growth, right? And if you let's work backwards. How does growth work? Well, to grow in your career, you need to have the relevant skills. And to have the relevant skills, you need to engage in learning. So if you're failing to engage people in learning, you're not supporting them to grow in their career. If they're not growing in their career, well, people now have so much opportunity, they'll just walk. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen in companies. 70% of companies last year reported losing some of their talent due to a lack of growth opportunities. So what does that mean for a company? It means you're losing your best people and it's too difficult and expensive to replace them because the market actually is lacking the skills that you need. And so what a company needs to do right now is hold on to their people and to hold on to their best talent what they need to do is invest in developing their skills so they can perform better and grow in their careers. Now, to do that, we need to shift away from thinking about content, because right now the question L&D tries to answer is, what content do they need and how do I get them that content, right? Instead, what we need to be asking is, what skills do they need and how do I help them build those skills? And that completely changes how we think about building 
our, our L&D strategy. It completely changes how we think about organizational L&D from a mindset perspective. And that's why that shift of moving away from a very content first approach where it's quite reactive, we, we find out what content needs people need. Um, and then we go get that content and we push it out one fine day and we hope for the best to see people engage it. And we hope even more for the best that it's going to have some meaningful impact um, versus going for a more skills first, where it's proactive, proactively kind of measuring and identifying what skills do we have and not have in the organization. Let's identify those gaps. Now that we have those gaps, let's bring together a learning ecosystem, not a catalog a learning ecosystem of all different ways, of, you know, from coaching to tribal knowledge from inside the organization to courses, to blogs, to podcasts, bring that together and start mapping it and connecting it to the gaps that we're identifying in the first stage. And then let's deliver this in the flow of work. So I'm not having to make learning feel like an unwanted interruption. Instead, I can make it feel like an integrated part of everyday work by embedding it everywhere I'm already working. And let's start to measure not just time spent learning and content completion, but let's actually start measuring, okay, did I help you build the skills that you needed? And if I didn't, well, let me cut that and let me focus on the things that are going to help you build the skills. So it completely changes the way you think about L&D when you take a skills first approach. It's, it sounds almost like um, we're learning lessons from the behaviours of how we learn outside of work. And, and we're finally, because I, I don't, outside of work, go to my learning management system, my personal one, and and go into some past content and know how to cook a nice paella uh, for this weekend. Um, we, we, we search, we go in real time when we need that skill then and there in the moment. So it sounds like it's almost what you're saying is all, we, we need to fit the behaviours internally in an organisation to match what we really do outside. It's funny you say that because one of my favorite questions to ask a big room of L&D professionals is to ask them to think about when was the last time they learned something that was, um, you know, had a major impact on their career or performance. They take a moment, then ask them to put their hand up if it took place inside an LMS. None of them did. Right. And, and the irony is, is not lost on anyone is, you know, here's the same group of people who probably have bought an LMS or will buy an LMS. Um, and they're chasing other people to go to the LMS to learn, yet their own learning, it doesn't happen. Because like you said, that's not the way we learn um, outside of work. And I think we're starting to see this, not just in L&D, but every aspect of work is, is what you call the consumerization of work, right? Especially with hybrid and remote working. And um, now we're essentially have the same expectations we have as a consumer in our personal lives from work. Right. If, if I expect to get something instantly personalized, delivered to exactly where I want as a consumer in my personal life, why would I accept it's OK to go through 10 steps uh, of back and forth and get one size fits all when it comes to work? Uh, and, and so we our expectations have changed because technology has changed the way we live outside of work. And work is actually right now playing catch up. And that's why I find it quite funny when I speak to some kind of L&D professionals and HR professionals who say, I'm not too sure our company's ready for this. And, and I think the reality is you're not ready for this, right? Your company, are, your, your people are ready for this, right? Just ask them what they're using outside of work. You know, they're already going to YouTube. They're already going to Google to search for stuff. You know, they're probably already using ChatGPT in your company. The reality is with or without L&D, people are learning. 
and they're learning the way that's least friction, right? And the one that can deliver it for them in that moment of need. And if you're not able to give them that, they'll find a way where they can get it. But then the question is, does that mean L&D, you know, don't have a role? Like, what, what's the point of L&D? Well, actually, I think there's even more of a point today than there's ever been before, because it's so much content and information out there. The biggest challenge is to connect people with relevant learning in that moment of need. And that's where L&D have to play a role in bringing that ecosystem together, taking the friction out of the learning process, helping them align that learning to the skills that they need to build, not in authoring more content, right? Not to say you never have to create content of your own and authoring. Of course, there's a time and a place for that, but there's a lot of stuff that we're learning today if you're dependent on you having to create all of that content, you're probably falling behind. There's a lot of great experts out there, both inside and outside, uh, creating the resources you need. The challenge is discovery. And, and I think that's the thing I really want people to think about is we're living in a post-content world where content is cheap and abundant, right? So the problem isn't content, right? The problem is discovery. How do I connect with relevant learning at the moment of need? That's the biggest challenge for us right now to face. Um, and I think that's where we need to focus our energy. And it's really interesting because I, I'm thinking back like 10 years when there was a huge surge on resourcing software, so recruiting and selecting software. And there was a, everyone was saying, we can't have clunky, like uh, recruiter-led software. We need something at the point of contact with the employee where they don't have to fill out a, 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 an application form, be it online, be it, remember, paper. And, and you can upload your CV and it self fills it all out hunting to make it harmless because we were having people deselect because they were applying for like however many jobs and the ones that were complicated to do they just were giving up with it it sounds like almost that argument could be brought into the L&D because now what we're saying is actually people are leaving organizations because there's a scarcity of skilled people they're being attracted elsewhere so if you're going to keep them internally they need to have that feeling of growth and learning and I love your use of the word in a frictionless way. So it's almost like extending that argument before into upgrading whatever technology you need to enable that for our people right now. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great parallel because actually at the height of, it might be too long ago now, but the great resignation period where you know every headline was talking about great resignation, everyone was worried about um, losing their people. And then you know, there was so much around, again, how competitive it was to hire. Um, and so we saw a massive shift, like you said, towards the candidate experience, right? That it wasn't just about recruiters uh, and solving the pain point for them, but I saw, especially in the startup space, an explosion of, of startups that are coming through uh, and their kind of real uh, USP was around the fact that this was optimized for the candidate. Right. It was optimized for the candidate so they didn't have to do all the tough work of filling in forms, et cetera, uh, because we realized actually that's where the power sits and at, in, at that period of time in the market. And I think that's exactly where we are now. I think we made the mistake of thinking the great resignation was a temporary phase. We, you know, There's so many stories around, is this on the back of COVID you know, in the UK? Is it on the back of Brexit plus COVID? Like, is this just a temporary blip? But it isn't. Right. It's sustained for so long now. We can see that we generally have a sustained skills shortage here and the demand for talent remains high. And in that environment, it's not just the candidate experience, but because actually it's too expensive, especially just laid off people and you're conserving cash. 
hiring right now is the most expensive thing you can do. So you need to look internally and, and, and actually optimize overall the employee experience. And as a part of optimizing that employee experience, a big part of that is the learning experience, right? It, it's not a detached, uh, you know, siloed uh, piece that, you know, only L&D need to think about. And, and this often is one of the challenges. And I know a lot of people we work with in L&D find this challenging is C-suite often looking at L&D as just L&D's problem. Um, but actually, L&D is an organizational capability, right? It's not just a function. It's not just a team, right? It's everyone's responsibility. It's every manager's responsibility. It's every individual taking responsibility for their own growth. And, and so that's not going to happen if your C-suite look at L&D as an L&D problem. Uh, and I think you need to shift away from that and, and really look at what does every individual in your organization need to be able to perform better and grow in their career. Yeah, and it makes me think of the, the traditional myth of L&D about the 70-20-10 rule, 70% learning on the job, 20% learning from others, 10% formal learning. And as much as you can argue about the percentages, it, it has rings an element to it. But there was always that bit about that 70% learning on the job. And what we're essentially saying now that that on-demand discovery part is actually, it's now it's, it's becoming almost business critical. So now it's, it, we need to, and it's not going to be, sitting next to Nelly and learning from from her oh, she's been here a year longer because chances are nobody's been there a year because everyone's moving around and, and, and getting other roles but uh, but it's the fact that we're now in this kind of hybrid or virtual environment a lot of different sectors so actually you can't just lean over to the person next to you and say how do you do it's almost like you've got to have your your the internet is your friend so it's where how are you going to learn it inside of there so yeah it's um it's almost coming back to that 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 saying, isn't it? What's the investment in the technology to actually have this discovery technology available for every single one of your employees? It's it's not so much about well, there's a risk of investing in that. It's, it's what's the risk of not investing? Yeah, and this is what we're talking about in terms of when you're building a business case internally um, for anything L and D related. Often, I've seen L and D professionals get caught up on the idea of you know. Proving ROI. Yeah, proving ROI is a challenge, right? Especially in LD, it's a challenge. It's quite requires imagination, connecting the dots, etc. But actually, what we recommend talking about is ROI is definitely important. But when you're putting your business case together, we'd recommend thinking about the cost of inaction, right? Uh, the way humans make decisions, we're often driven by what you'd call loss aversion. Right? You're you're more likely to be unhappy about losing thousand pounds than you are to feel ecstatic about getting thousand uh, pounds. And that's the same when you're making organizational decisions, right? Loss aversion drives, especially in this current market. And so telling someone oh, by making this investment, you're gonna make 10% more profit is not as compelling as saying, well, you're gonna you're losing twenty percent, and you're losing this every quarter is a lot more compelling uh, to get your business case through. And with L and D, you can do that. Let's just take the skills piece for example. Let's just say um, we're seeing a very high employee turnover in the sales team. Let's just say that's the example within the company. Um, and you look at your exit interview data, and actually the feedback you're getting is I'm leaving because there's a lack of growth opportunities here. And when you do your engagement surveys, you're getting a similar type of data point. Now, that's the data point for you to do something about. And if you don't do something, what's the cost of inaction? Well, the cost of inaction is 
you've now lost this person. Uh, it could take you, let's say, three months in the best case to find a replacement. And it can take another three months to ramp this person up. That's six months. That's six months of a person who's hitting quota now that you don't have. And that six months times quota gives you a cost of inaction, plus the recruitment fees, all of those things uh, added on top. You put that together and compare that with the LND business case you're putting together, say, for a learning platform that's going to so- help you solve this problem. And you'll see it's a fraction, right? And I think often what doesn't happen enough when putting this business case together, it, again, the business case is very content first. Right. The reality is your C-suite don't care how many courses people are going to do. Right. In fact, the employee doesn't care how many courses they've done and need to do. Right. It, it's not. It, yeah, they may be giving themselves a pat on the back and high five each other, but they know that's not the thing that's going to help them progress in their in their job. And so, again, the content first is not just about the way we deliver learning, but it it skews the way we do everything in L&D, the way we put business case together versus skills saying, look, actually, we're not helping our people get the skills to progress in their career, so they're leaving. Cost of inaction is X, right? For one-tenth of X, we can bring this in. That's going to address this obstacle that's right now helping us. And that obstacle is often what we call the engagement gap. People are not currently using the current system because it's scattered. It's not delivered in the flow of work. And it's actually too generic and one size fits all. So we need a way of overcoming that obstacle to help people build the skills they need. Uh, and that cost of inaction, especially in this current market, it is the way we think to be able to put together a compelling business case that gets you the buying you need. It's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, when we think about the employee experience, and it's, it's quite often not the tangibles. I like the way say employees don't care about the number of courses they've gone on. I, I know uh, organisations that have these wonderful badges you can put on your email signature, you say you've attended a course and like, so what is the answer? You might still be a rubbish employee. But um, I, I, I love, to me, it's perceptions. So it's almost like the question should be, in the past 12 months, have you felt like you've been able to grow when you needed to grow with inside this organisation? It's not like, did you attend the training? Is your manager? Just did you feel that you could grow when you needed to grow? And I think that's that's probably as close as you're going to get to any kind of metric. And if, but I love, it's so right, if you actually map it all out. Uh, and, and Gallup was saying uh, in recently about their work around what's impending after the pandemic, et cetera, in the hybrid world of work, that actually employee satisfaction is directly related to customer satisfaction because it's your frontline employees that know the customers really well. Your frontline employees are not motivated. It leaks into your customer relationships. And therefore, it's not so much uh, it's, it's cost and revenue because you're going to lose customers and, and you're not going to find new ones as well. So. Uh, before we finish this podcast, I really want to ask you about the latest trends. And I've been to a couple of HR conferences this year, as I know you have. And um, a lot of the HR community is getting a little bit jittery about the, the, the world of generative AI, that the fact that we hear stats about 50, 60 percent of people's jobs will change substantially, not lose them change substantially in the next five to 10 years as generative AI comes in. And you mentioned chat GPT in itself. And I recently, well, I was in the conference and and a stat was 30% of the audience had said they'd already used chat GPT directly for their work. Um, Where do you think 
learning sits? And what do you think we need to think about from a learning perspective with the rise of AI that can do parts of our job for us? Yeah, it's a great, fully loaded uh, question. But I think, <laughs> so I think with generative AI, it's I, I'm quite an optimist when it comes to this. And I think there's some incredible opportunities there. Are all of the opportunities uh, realizable now? No, but we're it's moving at such an incredible speed. I think there's some real exciting times ahead. However, when you look at how generative AI specifically in LD, um, how certain products are trying to bring into generative AI, I, I, we're really going for the base case, which isn't really a problem. I, I often make this kind of parallel towards it's like having a, a Ferrari or a super sports car at home and only really using it to drive to your local supermarket, right? It's you're not really using its real potential. And what we're doing right now is we're using generative AI to, to essentially create more content, but that wasn't the problem, right? They, they, no one was saying, oh, you know what? The biggest problem holding me back right now is there isn't enough content, only if there is a way to create more AI generated content. Uh, and that's essentially what's happening right now. And, and actually, I think that's going to cause us even more problem because there's a lot more content now to find out the stuff that's actually relevant for each individual, et cetera. However, there are exciting use cases that you can use this technology for and, and to kind of give you insight into where we're going at how now and what we're excited about is actually one of the biggest challenges for L&D uh, folk is actually measuring impact, right? Getting relevant answers from their data to the questions they have. Now, that is a problem generative AI can solve. What we're really excited about, what we've been working on is imagine asking those real deep impact-driven um, questions in natural language, right? If you want to know how much of your sales team are competent at product knowledge X, ask that question in natural language. And actually, we can analyze and look at this, build a language model around the data that you have to answer those questions. That is a powerful use case. Because right now, so much time of LD professionals is spent on you know generating reports and adding filters and doing exports and sending it out on a weekly basis so I, I think that there the other one is actually bringing in pedagogy into the way uh, we generate learning right it's not just asking a question and getting an answer but you know how can we actually build it in where you can automatically generate dynamic pathways that are delivered in the flow of work that take into account fundamental uh, pedagogy into it you know from scaffolding to um, you know, reinforcing that learning. So I think it kind of reduces, again, the friction um, for you to be able to do that. And I think one of the byproducts of generative AI is how we're going to get so used to asking for everything in natural language, right? Even doing a couple of clicks is going to seem very cumbersome uh, for us. And so I think that will drastically change how we interface with every technology within the workplace, including HR and learning and knowledge sharing. Uh, and so I think that's exciting. Right? What does it do for that interface and where you can uh, go with that? Um, another one we're really excited around is, is actually creating personas. Like we're talking about AI agents who essentially have different personas and can get certain jobs done for you. Um, but we think the same thing can apply for work. So a, a really good tool I'd recommend checking out. It's called characters.ai. And essentially what they've done is use a ton of data to create AI personas of famous people um, alive or dead. And, and so, for example, you can go and chat with Barack Obama and essentially everything you ask, the response is almost like Barack Obama. What would he have said based on the information uh, it, he knows? And, and it's incredible what these 
uh, different agents and personas could do. Now, apply that in the workplace. What if you can create a sales expert, a head of marketing expert? These different personas are available around the clock, right? That are trained on both the world's knowledge, but also trained on your organization's proprietary knowledge. And therefore, you can ask this persona the question and get real-time answers based on internal and external knowledge. That's powerful because what you're doing now is you're essentially um, amplifying the intelligence that you have in your organization. So while your head of sales or head of marketing is asleep, they're still answering questions. Uh, and, and that really unlocks so much potential. So I think there, there's a lot there. Are there concerns? Of course, with every technology there, there is, right? And, and it's up to us to use it intelligently. But one thing's true, the bets that we originally thought AI would replace, you know, often we associate AI and robots with replacing um, manufacturing jobs and really physical jobs. But actually, it turns out they're the harder jobs to replace, right? Because with generative AI, it's programmers and coding that are not necessarily being replaced, but they're the ones that right now, like an entry-level programmer is the one that generative AI can do, right? Like anyone who's used GitHub's Copilot will know, actually, it does a pretty good job. Of, of writing code. And we never would have expected that, not even five years ago, because we were all saying you need to do computer science. Actually, that's the way to future-proof yourself is do programming and, and all of that. But actually, that's changed. And so I think it really leans on things like our sense of judgment, uh, our ability to kind of navigate ambiguity, all of these things that I think are the harder things for, for AI to navigate. So yeah, there are definitely challenges, but a lot more opportunities that are ahead of us. You came up with loads of stuff there. My brain is reeling. I'm going to have to go and lie down for a couple of hours <laughs> after this one. I think you can just process that. Um, there's so much there. I'm, I'm literally going to listen to this this podcast myself after we finish this. Because <laughs> and I recommend everyone to, to pause, go back three minutes and re-listen to that now. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? And there's the other aspect of um, also the higher um, thinking skills of the human. Uh, and actually, if if, if um, we're going to have content, well, not so much content, but we're going to be able to interface with content so much easier, then that stuff that the AI can't currently do that you were mentioning there, but things like critical thinking, curiosity, and those things, that's where almost going back to, to the, the, the LMS is dead is actually that discovery phase. How can I upskill myself in critical thinking uh, now rather than going to a piece of content, which actually I could be asking an avatar? in 12 months time so yeah. on demand so uh nelson i could talk to you pretty much yeah. till thursday um but uh, unfortunately um our time is up on this uh, podcast i knew this was going to be an interesting one and i hope the listeners do as well whenever i speak to anyone in hell now i always feel like i'm sitting right on the precipice of the future because you guys are passionate about what you do but thanks ever so much uh for coming along and speaking to me today i appreciate it Thanks for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. No worries. And so that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed this latest episode. If you have, then there's a whole back catalogue of interesting HR topic conversations for you to explore. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon at Tap Talks HR. I'm off for a lie down, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.